Hey, we're in week two of our series called Practice Makes Progress, and we're really just learning about the, the disciplines of our faith. It's a, it's a word that we don't normally like to talk about, disciplines, right? But really, when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, and Delaney was talking about them just briefly, what we're talking about is the spiritual practices, the ways in which we place ourselves before, in one sense, the hands of God so that he can spiritually form us into Christ-likeness. And we lay this foundation a bit more last week, but today I want to I share from a message entitled Prayer, More Practice Than Theory. And I want to invite you to stand with me one more time this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word together. We stand, not every time that we open our Bibles on a Sunday morning, but at the onset of the teaching as a way in which to posture our outward selves, simply to remind ourselves that we honor God's Word, that we don't take it lightly, that his word is authoritative in our life. In fact, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have really great Bibles that we would love to gift you and give you on behalf of the generous people who are all around you right now. You can actually just swing by the In This Together table out in the foyer. They're just sitting on the table. You don't even have to ask. Just grab one off of the table and that Bible is yours to keep. And I want to read from just three verses this morning, beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And these are really our theme verses for the entirety of this series, which will be eight weeks long. Next week, by the way, Dr. Tammy Smith will be with us to continue in this series. And usually there's actually a larger crowd that shows up for Tammy than there is when I'm speaking. And so it really does my heart damage. Anyway, moving on. That's why I see Tammy professionally. But anyway, no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. First Timothy chapter four. Some of you are newer like, man, this guy, he needs some help. Anyway, do not waste your time, Paul says. He's telling his young protege in the faith, Timothy, arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And then Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 27, my sheep, my people, Christians, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's an action. It's not just a prayer that they pray, but there's a, a movement to their life. They're following Jesus. Again, we're going to talk from this subject entitled prayer, more practice than theory. Let's pray one more time before we begin today. God, thank you for just a few moments we've already had to gather. But as we approach your word, Spirit of God, we invite you to speak to us wherever we find ourselves today, whether we are still skeptical about you and have lots of questions, or whether we've been following you for a long time and have great trust and faith in you, wherever we are, God, we trust that you'll meet us right in that space. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was nine years old, there was a production at our church. I shared this during second service just briefly last week, but I want to give a little bit more context to this today. There was a production happening at our church, and it was taking place over the course of an entire week. So every night for an entire week, Monday through Sunday, our church was hosting this, this skit of sorts. Production makes it sound way better than it really was. It was a skit. And this, this skit was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I've mentioned this before, but my dad had volunteered to run camera. And so most nights I found myself there as a nine-year-old forced to sit through what ended up being a very terrifying experience. I actually found an image online that isn't a direct image from the church that I grew up in, but it looks 
pretty much identical to the church in the experience that I had when I was nine years old of heaven's gates and hell's flames. Come on, somebody. And I can remember at nine years old sitting through this production on several evenings and me and my cousin would sit together in the back just next to the platform where my dad was running the camera. And each night before my dad could grab me, I would just head down that aisle as the pastor would stand up on the stage at the end of this skit and he would ask, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I I don't know. And I would like run down front, me and my cousin in hand. Man, we're like, please pray with us. This is no stretch of the truth. We we would be down front. By the the last night, someone's like, weren't you here like multiple nights in a row? Yeah, yeah, but like I want assurance, man. Like I need to know that last night when I spouted off to my mom that I'm forgiven of this, you know. And, And I began to think about this, and we mentioned this last week, but Questions like this in the last decade, they've been called a conversion-centered gospel, where the emphasis really is on just converting people into Christianity, as if conversion is the end of the race, so to speak. And I began to wonder if there maybe isn't a question that would better identify a disciple-centered gospel. And by discipleship, as we mentioned last week, we simply mean a way in which we follow Jesus for the long haul, not a decision we make once and then it's done, but a decision we make daily. And I wonder if a disciple-centered gospel question wouldn't look more like this. If you knew you were going to live forever, what kind of person would you like to become? And I don't think that's the end-all, be-all of all questions, by the way. I'm just saying, I wonder if that wouldn't be a better start, though. Because for a lot of us, we we think of our life a little bit like this graph. Like at some point, regardless of what that age or that moment in our life might be, we pray the prayer, we walk the aisle, we raise the hand. And and in that moment, it's like discipleship. You just kind of shoot to a level 10, man. Like the first question that we posed a moment ago, it implies in one sense that to pray the prayer, to be converted to receive salvation, to be born again, it, it implies that that's, that's it. You've now arrived. When in reality, we, we know this intuitively be true, but we haven't necessarily always been taught. The language we've used around, around being saved or being a Christian hasn't always allowed us to understand this in its entirety, that really salvation is the, is the launching point to a journey that isn't always up and to the right. But it is, a, it is a lifelong journey of being spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. We mentioned last week a, a working definition for this phrase, spiritual formation. And for us as a community, this, this definition of which we'll highlight, I would imagine, a lot in the years to come, is a development of your heart for God. A development of growing more and more in love with the things of God. Being God's agenda, becoming, becoming our agenda. And there were kind of just four main points that we referenced last week as it relates to sport, spiritual formation. The first of which is it's a lifelong journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And we can't expect one person's experience to be identical to somebody else's experience. Additionally, we said that it's both active and passive, meaning there's a part that we play and there's a part that just happens. That we don't have a whole lot of control over. And we'll talk more about passive spirituality, but, 
But there, are, there is a part that we get to play. There's things that we can do that certainly don't force formation to happen, but they do set ourselves up to be formed more likely into the image of Jesus. Third, that spiritual formation requires all of us, all of you, I should say, all of me, every single part of our life. In other words, we said that there's a question we can ask ourselves, that following Jesus really is the process or the project of answering this question throughout the course of our life. And if Jesus were me, if he lived where I live, had my job, education, salary, and family, how would he live? And that, that answer looks different when you're 17 and a student or 25 and it's your first job or 35 and you had your first kid or you're 65 and now you're having grandkids, right? Like it's a, it's a lifelong process. And then lastly, spiritual formation begins in the Bible. And we kicked off a new Bible reading plan last week and it doesn't sound that exciting in one sense. We're like, yeah, Bible reading plan, let's go. But really it is. Because there's no greater way to experience Christ-likeness, to experience Christ himself, than through the scriptures. And many of you, actually, we, we sold out of our bread journals, which was like super encouraging. We're starting this new journey called BREAD. It's the acronym that stands for Breathe, Read, Encounter, Apply, and Devote. And if you want more information, you can, of course, go back and listen to last week or just check out this link on our website, and you'll be able to download those journals there. Many of you pre-ordered them, and we ordered a few extras as well, so hopefully we'll get those in on time too. But we don't worship the Bible. That's not what we're after here. We're not saying, man, like, the, like this is the book that I worship. No, no, that's, that's not what it's all about. But we do worship the God who has revealed himself to us through the Bible. And that's why we take the Bible so seriously, because it's the revealed word of the God that we worship. And all of this spiritual formation is so that I just want, and you just want, I know that there's something in you. You're here today. You're watching online right now. Maybe you are skeptical about this whole God thing. But I pray that we would always be a church where doubt is welcomed, where you can kick some tires and ask some questions and never feel like judgment is given. This is a place where you could always explore faith in Jesus. And in the end, many of us would say, I, I just want, I just want people to be attracted to Christ because of who I am, because of what I have to say, and because of how I say it. Now, all of that was simply review from last week, just to catch us up, but it's also the starting point for where we're going today. There's a reason why we left off last week with spiritual formation beginning in the Bible, because today as we pick up on this spiritual discipline or the spiritual practice of prayer, we got to understand that it's in the Bible where we learn how to pray. And prayer has been a twofold journey for me, one of which I would ma- imagine that many of you can probably relate to. And that journey has included first that prayer I've discovered is the most important thing in my life. Like the older I get and the more that I practice prayer with each passing year, I find so much life in prayer, so much hope in communion, in talking with, in relating with with God, but likewise, I'm horribly bad at it. Like I just, if I'm honest, look in the mirror and I'm like, I wish I was better at prayer. I find a lot of solace in Thomas Merton's words, a man who devoted much of his life to prayer and wrote on this topic extensively. He said, we don't want to be beginners at prayer, but 
let's just be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all of our life. And so let's all just kind of level the playing field here. Like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like brand new to this whole church, God, Christian thing. I'm not even sure what I believe about this whole God, Christian thing, or I'm a superhero saint. Like, wherever you find yourself, like, we're all, we're all beginners when it comes to this topic of prayer. But like anything, we learn by actually doing, not just hearing about it, but, but practicing it. In, in Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus was in a certain place praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples came to him and, and said, Hey, Lord, would you teach us to do that thing? That thing that we keep seeing you do? That thing that seems like you get some like results in? That thing that seems like it brings you a lot of peace? And somehow you're talking to this God that we revere but have never been taught how to actually have a relationship with. And you're talking to him in a way that is really attractive. Would you teach us to do that? And instead of him actually teaching, Jesus prayed. He just started praying. That was his answer to the question, teach us how to pray. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, writes, we, by praying, we, we learn to pray. Mother Teresa says, if we really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. Furthermore, Thomas Burton goes on at one point and says, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. All of these saints of old, when they talk about prayer, they're like, you just got to do it. You just got to start. You can read all the books about it, listen to all the podcasts, but it's not until you actually practice it that, that you begin to grow in this, in this discipline. Now, here's what's kind of ironic, though. Consider this for just a moment. As I begin to reflect on this in my own life, I have found this to be true, that one of the verses that we first learn as a new Christian one of the very first things that we all have been taught to memorize or have heard taught on, or even if you didn't grow up in church, and you, you probably are at least a bit familiar with this in Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done, right? Some of the older translations say, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything with prayer and supplication, make your request be known unto God. Some of you have heard this verse before, right? Like, you with me this morning? I know it's cold outside, and like our gizzards are a little bit cold on the inside still. That's what my grandfather used to call me. Yeah, warm up your gizzards, you know? Anyway, not you, just me? Cool, okay. Then, Paul says, you will experience God's peace, which, by the way, if you slow down, is actually what we all really want. Everything else in life is a pursuit of peace. You buy that thing, you go to that place, you try to get that relationship, that new job. What? Because you think it'll bring you peace. And so here the promise of God is, hey, pray, and then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It'll guard you from the things that tries to rob you of your, of your peace. Now the scriptures are full of promises like this. Promises that are connected to prayer. That when you pray, you'll receive. That when you pray, you will get. That when you pray, you'll experience. Over and over we see this. And yet most of us would say, I'm not very good 
at prayer. And yet, it seems as though prayer is the medium that God has given us to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John chapter 10. And the obvious obstacles are lying in front of us as to what keeps us from becoming good at prayer. You're busy. You're social. You carry the internet around in your pocket. You're distracted by Reddit threads and political arguments on Twitter and scrolling incessantly on social media, right? And yet, with all of those distractions, we find time to eat, sleep, maybe even exercise with some degree of, of regularity. Like we, we find time, no matter how busy we are, for the things that we consider important in our life, for the things that really matter. And so here's what I want to consider today. Something beneath the surface, something a little bit deeper that keeps us from praying. It's not the obvious obstacles. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious but pray. And yet, for many of us, the thing that makes us anxious is prayer. Some of us don't pray because prayer is the thing that makes us feel a little bit intimidated. Tyler Staten, in his brilliant book, Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools, he he writes, Scripture teaches don't be anxious, just pray. But maybe we don't pray because prayer comes with plenty of reasons to be anxious. Prayer itself makes us anxious because it uncovers the fears we can ignore as long as we don't deeply engage thoughtfully and vulnerably with God. And so let's take a moment and just identify, I'm sure there's many more, but just four honest anxieties about prayer. The first one is an outcome anxiety. Some of us don't pray because we wonder, like, does it really work? Like, is this actually what people say that it is, or was this just for grandma? Like, I'm just not so sure about this. And look, here's the reality. Prayer is a beautiful privilege. You are communing with the creator of all that you see and don't see, all that you understand and the complexities of what we don't understand. And yet again, if we're honest, prayer also isn't always wonderful. It's deeply disappointing at times. I was going through this prayer exercise with some friends, and one of the questions that was asked is, what keeps you from praying? And I deeply appreciated the honesty of the response of of one of my friends when, when they said, what keeps me from praying? Well, it's easier to be disappointed in myself than it is in God. I was like, you are way more honest than most church folks. And the truth is, actually, the Bible is way more honest about disappointment in prayer, way more honest about unanswered prayer than most church people are. I think the second thing that keeps us from praying, the second obstacle or anxiety in our life is our motive anxiety. Like we're just paralyzed by self-evaluation. And we, and we wonder, like, as we're about to pray, we're about to ask for something, or at least we really want to ask God for something, but we say, man, why do I really want this? Um, what's behind this request? Have, have I really put in enough time with God to ask for something like this, or am I just texting him when I need something? Is this desire really pure enough to bring to God? And we begin to question all of our own anxieties, or all of our own, what's the word that I'm looking for here? 
motives. Thank you. Thank you. And, and we begin to wonder, like, are my motives actually sincere? Are they pure? Or is this, is this merely selfish? And as a result, we never even take any of it to God. Or number three, we have this not good enough anxiety. I think a lot of us find ourselves in this place. Like in one really important sense, we got to understand that the spiritual disciplines or the practices of our faith, they're not hard. We don't need to be well-trained in theology to practice these disciplines. These are not intended for the super spiritual. Practicing generosity or prayer or fasting, these were all an assumed part of regular devotion when Jesus is teaching in the first century. And they're an assumed part of our life today. For an employee working a nine to five, for an employer with a startup company, for the pastor, for the stay-at-home parent, for the teenager, for the grandparent, it's an assumed part of our life. It's not about performance. It's about position and positioning ourselves before God. Like you can't make yourself tan. No matter how much you think it, no matter how much you want it, no matter how much you're like, dear God, God, just make me tan. But you know what you can do? You can head down to Florida. You can sit on the beach. You can do nothing while on the beach. And the rays of the sun will, for some of you, make you red. Others make you tan, right? And it's much like Richard Foster said about, about the disciplines or the practices of our faith. It's the way that it is with disciplines. They're, they're a way of sowing to the spirit. The spiritual disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They, they put us where he can work within us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done by God. There's an active and a passive part to our spirituality. And then fourth, we have a God anxiety. Like we just question whether or not God is actually good enough, whether he actually loves us, whether he actually cares about me or just everybody else. And the reality is that your image of God more than anything else will determine your experience with God. Just the same as your image of someone else. The person beside you, in front of you, behind you, not even here this morning. The, your image of them, your perception of them determines how you interact with them. What you've heard about them, which, by the way, complete side note, is why it's really important never just to throw conjecture out into conversations about, yeah, I heard about so-and-so, but you've never met them yourself. Don't speak about someone an experience that you actually don't even have. You're only doing damage to everyone else's experience with someone that might end up being a really great friend for that person. But here's why this is important. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, when he begins to teach his disciples how to pray, and he gives for us this model prayer, what we refer to today as the Lord's Prayer, he begins by saying, our Father in heaven. He starts the prayer in hopes that we would recognize who it is exactly that we're praying to. Our Father implies that we are praying to a God who deeply loves us, that we can have intimate, sincere, authentic relationship with. And when he says, our Father in heaven, he's implying that we can pray to the God who's all-powerful. So God is all-loving and all-powerful. Now consider this for just a moment. 
do you have any of these anxieties about prayer? Have you ever before? Have you ever had like the motive anxiety and it's kept you from praying? You're about to pray. There's something right on the tip of your tongue. And in public, maybe even more so, you're like, uh, I don't know if I should say that though. Someone's gonna be judging my motives. The outcome anxiety, God, I've been disappointed by you too many times. I don't even wanna try it anymore. Because like my friend, it's easy to be disappointed in myself and it is in God. You ever been kept from praying the obstacle in your life has been, I'm just not sure that God actually cares about this. I know he's capable, he's God. Very rarely do we question his power, we just question his, his willingness. So how do we move forward then? Well, I love what Eugene Peterson says, the way that he translates Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is so beautiful. He writes, this is your father that you're dealing with. Oh, listen to this. He says, he knows better than you what you need with a God like this loving you. You can pray really simply. So how do we move forward? I think the first thing is, we've got to learn just to pray what you've got. Delaney, when she was just sharing with us out of worship, Delaney's one of the young adult leaders we have in this church. And it's just, I'm just so proud of her. And I love what, I love what she said. She, she just, I'm not even sure if you caught it. She just said in passing, God, we just pray what we've got. And I think that's brilliant because, because most of what keeps us from, from praying is we, we pray what we think we should pray rather than praying what's actually in us to pray. Consider the Psalms for a moment, which, by the way, is a book full, or a collection of books, rather, that's just full of prayers. That's what the Psalms are. In Psalm 140, the author says, Let burning coals fall down on their heads. Let them be thrown into the fire or into watery pits from which they can't escape. That's a prayer to God, by the way. For the record, I've never prayed that about you before. <laughs> Somebody's like, Delaney. <laughs> Delaney, I was just talking good about you. Now you're laughing at me. I didn't even see you over there. Psalm 69 says, I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. It goes on in Psalm 142. It says, I pour out my complaints before God. I tell him all of my troubles. Anger, depression, <laughs> complaining. Whoever wrote these probably needs to see a professional. You know who wrote them? David. King David. Even if you don't know anything about church history, you've heard of David and Goliath. You've heard of King David. This is the king who set an unreachable bar for all other kings. The one whose bloodline was promised to lead to the Messiah, Jesus. It's the, it's the one who God said of him, David is a man after my own heart. And you know what David learned to do? He just learned to pray what he had in the moment that he had it. He didn't try to church it up. Because what David knew is that when it comes to prayer, God isn't grading essays. He's talking to children. And so if you're going to pray at all times and all circumstances, if we are going to build a culture of prayer as a community and a church, then we've got to learn to pray what we've got. If you want to learn to pray, 
if you, if you really want to begin to understand like how to pray, you've got to take all of the junk in you and give it to God. Don't keep it within you. You know how you deal with your motives? You say honestly, hey God, my motives are jacked up. I'm pretty sure anyway. And so um, I'm just going to give them to you right now. Like you don't fix your motives. You can't fix them. No, there's a passive side to formation to Christ. You can't fix your motives, but there's an active side. You can bring them to God. Hey, hey God, um, right now, I am lusting, and I want to go to that website in this moment. I want to click that button right now. I want to look at that image. I want to go back to that video. I want to watch that movie. I want to. Hey, God, I'm so frustrated with my husband right now. Don't yell at your husband and talk to him about it. Go to your prayer closet. Go to, get in your car and go for a drive. And just begin to complain to God like David did. If you've got anger, man, it's all built up and there's this rage inside of you. Begin to tell God about it. God, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated with my employer. I'm frustrated with my mom. I'm upset with my coworkers. I'm angry at my neighbor because they mowed two feet on my side of the fence. Tell God about it. Bring it to him. You know when you begin to experience freedom? Listen, verbal therapy to God brings grace therapy to your soul. Verbal therapy is a real thing, man. Like you ever just vent to a friend, you're like, I feel so much better. But then that friend is like, but I don't know how to help you. But you know who does? Your Father in heaven, all powerful, all loving. You bring it to God, and you begin to see how some of those things will break, man. Look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, men and women alike, you deal with lust, tell God about it. The reason why you're continuing to, uh, to th that bondage, that tie within you, even to someone, even to someone that you've slept with previously, and you continue to have that sexual bond with them, which is a very real thing, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but when the oxytocin is released, you've you heard of this, right? It's called the, that chemical in your brain or in your, in your psyche is a real chemical that creates a bond with someone. It's called the oneness drug. And the reason why you keep going back to that, keep going back to that image, to that website, the desire to keep going back to that person is because it hasn't been broken. You know who can break it? God. Tell them about it. That's how grace begins to enter your life, begins to heal your soul, begins to transform you. That's where the peace comes from. Pray what you've got. Dom John Chapman, he, he's a theologian and priest about 100 years ago. He says it best when he says, pray as you can and do not try to pray as you can. Just pray as you can. Just pray what you've got. Look, if you get distracted in prayer, and when you're just sitting by yourself and you're in a room, and you're like, Jordan, I just can't do that. Like within two minutes, I'm, I'm done. Then go for a walk and pray. Like if, if you're like, Jordan, like I, I fall asleep when I try to, try to pray. Well, then drink some coffee before you pray. Like pray what you've got. Give, look, one of the greatest discoveries of my life, and it sounds so simple, and it's almost like slightly like, I should probably be beyond this now. But like for me to really pray, I got to be in nature.
Like I just, I find that when I, I will oftentimes just drive over to high banks and just sit there. And I'll just pray what's all, like I'll just pray. I'll just sit there and I look at the trees. And I just look at the birds. <laughs> Some of you know I really like birds. And like I'm, I don't know anything about birds, I just like them. So people will send me stuff. You don't have to, don't send me anything about birds. I don't care to learn about them. I just like watching them. That's all, that's all that it is. So people are like, man, like, so what, what birds do you really like? I'm like, I don't know, I like the ones that fly. Like, I like the cool, like, looking ones. Like, by the way, I saw a bald eagle fly over the, fly over our building the other day. Flew right over, I was like, that's, I know a bald eagle, because Philadelphia Eagles, they play tomorrow night at eight o'clock. So, I don't have a lot of faith in them this year. <sighs> moving on. <laughs> I have prayed about it, I've told God. Anyway, moving on. But like, that's, that's what it takes for me. So in the mornings, like when I wake up and I read through my Bible, like I love to read. It's very therapeutic for me. So I can read the Bible. Like I love reading the Bible. Then it's time to pray. If you look at my journal, they're like one sentence prayers, man. I'm like, this is what I got, God. Here you go. Look, if, if, if for you, man, like talking to God, like if that's hard, then journal it. Write it down. My point is just pray what you've got. Man, I'm telling you, that's, where the beauty is. It's in the honesty. Father, I'm asking you to change my desires to be holy. I'm asking you to change my motives. I, like, I, I want, I'm going to give this to you. Don't pretend pray. Real pray. God can't bless the pretend you, by the way, because that's not real. That's an artificial version of you. But he can bless the real you when you bring that to him. And so rather than beating ourselves up, over our obvious lack in this area of prayer, remember that God meets you where you are and slowly moves you into the deeper things. Occasional joggers don't become marathon runners overnight. It takes time. So you gotta prepare and train yourself over a period of time. And when we do, we can expect to pray a year from now with more fervency, authority, and spiritual success than we do at this present moment. I think the second thing, to move forward, you gotta practice what you've got. It's consistency, not intensity. Maybe you'd say, man, I don't feel like it's making a difference though. Well, there's no formation without repetition. Stay at it. There's no change without practice. You gotta stay in the game, right? Yeah, but it doesn't really feel amazing. In fact, I don't really feel anything at all. Well, if life is always amazing, it's probably because you're on drugs. Like, sometimes life just isn't amazing. Like, can we be honest? Yeah, like, it's not always going to be amazing. You're not always going to have goosebumps. And in fact, if I do, I'd say, like, tell me more. Like, because sometimes it's the most beautiful experiences I've had in prayer when I didn't feel like praying. The most beautiful experiences I found in God's word is when I didn't feel like reading. The most depth I've experienced in my relationship with God is when I fasted food and just leaned in to a hunger, the real bread of life, Jesus. And so usually it comes when we don't want it, when our flesh doesn't desire it. Pastor John Tyson says it like this. Oh, that was your point too. Addiction to religious ecstasy is often idolatry. So we got to pay attention to that. If all we're craving is a feeling, we're after, the wrong, we're after the wrong thing. And then third, and we'll close right here, pray where you are. 
How do we move forward in prayer? You gotta learn to pray what you've got, practice what you've got, and pray where you are. Anywhere can be turned into an altar of encounter with prayer. Jonah prayed in a whale, Daniel in a pit, Jesus on a cross, Paul in a prison. Pray where you are. I desperately want us to build a culture of prayer as a church because I know that's where the fire is. I know that's, I know that's where revival happens. I know that's where people who are far from God come into relationship with Christ. I know that's where we begin to experience, God, all I really want is people to be attracted to Christ because of who I am, because of what I have to say, and because of how I say it. I know that prayer is the medium where all of the great moves of God began. I know it. A remnant of people who got serious about prayer, not just talking about theology, not just talking about prayer, not just growing in our knowledge about God, but said, man, I'm going to pray what I've got. I'm going to practice what I've got. And I'm just going to keep praying wherever I am. I know that's where it happens. And so there's been a small remnant of people within ethos who have been praying this. And it's really encouraged me just praying, God, like, stir within our church a hunger for you, to talk to you, to be with you, to be loved by, to love you, and to love the world like you. And, and I, know, I know that that happens in prayer. Philip Yancey says it so beautifully when he wrote, most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way I want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. How honest is that? Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. If prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I got to learn about prayer. The most important discovery that you will ever make, the most important discovery is to understand the Father's love for you. And it is just that. It is a discovery. It can't be taught. We can talk about it, but it can only really be discovered. See, I, I know that the moon is more than 200,000 miles away from the earth. I know that. And, and you know that too, or at least now you do. I know that it's a real thing, contrary to conspiracy theories. I, I know that it can be walked on and touched and felt. I, I understand that. I know that. You know that. But Neil Armstrong discovered that. He experienced that. See, knowledge is memorizing facts, but discovery requires personal experience. You've got to pray what you've got. If your heart is breaking, pray that. If you're frustrated, pray that. If you're disappointed, pray that. If you can't pray adoration and thanksgiving to God, pray complaints. But Jordan, I feel like such a hypocrite when I do that. I feel like bad. God can handle it, and he really wants it. Why did God call David a man after his own heart? I actually didn't even read to you some of the worst of what David said. At one point, he actually said, God, would you smash their heads over rocks, please? True story. You're like, oh, I would have never wanted to meet you, David. 
And at a later point, God's like, David, you are a man after my heart. Why? Because he was just honest. He was just real. He just prayed what he had. And he was constantly bringing it to God. He's somewhere along the line, when you just pray what you've got, you will make the most important discovery of your life. And that is the love that the Father has for you. That's God's end of the deal. That's the passive part. The active part is just to pray what you've got, just to show up honestly, just keep showing up. That's the one non-negotiable when it comes to prayer. And the invitation is for everybody. So be patient with yourself in this journey, though, this journey of prayer, this journey of these practices of our faith, whether it's reading the scriptures or otherwise, because you're learning a discipline that you've not received a whole lot of training in. You're learning a discipline that the enemy certainly does not want you to understand, does not want you to discover. And certainly our culture doesn't encourage us to develop these skills. You'll be going against the tide, going against the grain of life, but take heart. Ethos, take heart, because there is immense worth in this pursuit. There's no other pursuit as worthy as this to grow into practice in this life of prayer. And so today, we're going to conclude a bit different than what is our tradition here. I want us to actually practice what we're talking about. And so just on the inside, in just a moment, I'm encourage all of us to just be quiet, to be still, and to consider what is it that you have right now that you're like, I've been holding this in. I just need to pray it. I need to pray it. It has been ravaging me in one sense. Or maybe it hasn't. Maybe that's too strong of a word. But it's just kind of settled in you. Like the disappointment in God has just settled in you. But you've never shared that out loud with God. Maybe you've shared that with others. And you've told other people. But you never brought it to God. Let today be the day where you unleash that. Verbal therapy to God brings grace therapy to your soul. Unleash that. And so today I want to just take a moment. This might be really odd for some of us, and I understand. Prayer can be uncomfortable. For some of us, it's connecting with the God that you know about, but you don't know. And so it's sort of like connecting with someone who you've been a fan of for a long, long time. And now you got to meet them face to face. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, like I, I feel like I know so much about you, but I've never experienced you before. And so it's a bit uncomfortable and it's a little bit awkward. And maybe at a certain point, even you're like, oh my God, I can't even believe I just said that. Well, guess what? God, God's cool with it. So just say it to him. This is how we grow in prayer. And this is how we build a culture of prayer that is hungry for the things of God more than we are for the things of the world. That allows God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done in our lives and through our lives as it is in heaven. So would you close your eyes for just a moment? This may not be the best avenue, the best place for you to pray what you've got. And I recognize that, that maybe today you need to go home and get alone or take a journal and write down your prayers. Maybe this isn't the best place for you to pray what you've got. So you may not experience the same thing that somebody besides you experiences. But even if you're not sure what you believe about God, pray that. Consider for a moment even just talking to God about your doubts. If God is real and he's everything that we say that he is, if he's everything that the word of God says that he is, don't you owe it to yourself to at least explore that and try it? 
and just see if God wouldn't, over a period of time, begin to reveal himself to you. And so this 